0: Episode Six: Chris Sheehan. welcome back to Creative Credit, a show dedicated to conversations with talent from across the comic book industry. Artists, writers, inkers, letterers, colorists, and more. I'm your host, Chad Vogelman. In this, our sixth episode, we'll be conversing with artist Chris Sheehan. Chris is the artist on many books such as the Kickstarter-backed Prometheus written by Ryan Little, Vault Comics' The Autumnal, written by Daniel Krause, and as of the release of this episode, the highly anticipated Boom Studios title, House of Slaughter, written by James Tynion. As this episode drops, this coming weekend, Chris will be signing copies of his works, including The Autumnal and House of Slaughter, this Saturday, October 30th, 2021, from 9am to 4pm, over at my preferred local comic shop, Bat City Comic Professionals, located at 4616 East Cesar Chavez here in Austin, Texas, for their small press The signing is in cooperation with Kirby's Comic Art and will be a CGC Signature Series event. So bring your Chris Sheehan issues or purchase them there on site to be signed, remarked, or even submitted to be graded, authenticated, and slabbed. It was actually through my friends at Bat City that I was exposed to Chris's work via the Autumnal from Vault Comics. Bat City, and Shannon and Matt, are champions through and through for indie publishers and titles. Their passion as the Autumnal was ongoing in single issues and the subsequent orders for the trade was bordering on. rabid. Well, Shannon and Matt from Bat City, as well as the rest of the Bat City family, have never steered me wrong. So when it came time for my monthly tweet thread about the upcoming solicited comics I plan on purchasing, I added the autumnal trade to my list. And it was through those tweets that the seed was planted for this weekend's very signing. I was absolutely captivated by the autumnal. Every page, every every panel, conveyed such emotion. And even the most mundane events within its pages held such a glacial combination of tension, and discomfort. But I don't want to give away everything this episode contains here at the start of the show. So without further ado, I present to you my conversation with Chris Sheehan. All right, everybody. On the line now, we have Chris Sheehan, who is the artist on, oh, a ton of things. Um, A little book that's coming up you may have heard of called House of Slaughter, but also primarily the reason he's here, and we'll talk about this book quite a bit, is a book called The Autumnal from Vault Comics. Man, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, uh, they, you know, I, I try very hard on the show not to ask the questions everybody asked, but unfortunately there are some that are sort of undeniable start places. Uh, the secret sauce to success in the comics industry is uh, is unique to everybody. It feels like once a door opens for one person, it is then forever closed to everybody else to go that specific route. Uh, so why don't you tell people how you got into the industry? I know that art sort of came, uh, and, and the comic books genre and, and medium in general sort of came a little bit later to you than maybe some others.
1: Yeah, yeah, that it's true that uh, like breaking into comics is, I, I think, I don't remember who said, it's like breaking out of prison. Once someone finds a way, they, they seal it up. Um, that's not exactly true, but but it, it's pretty close. Um, And I just I don't think that the reason is because they they like gatekeep that way. But I I feel because technology is always evolving that that way becomes oversaturated. So like back in the day, all you have to do is send your portfolio in to a publisher and then they review it and, and then you get hired or you would go to a portfolio review at a comic convention, and they would review it, and then you get hired or not. And um, it seems like it's a bit more complicated now, because now everyone can do that, and everyone does do that. And it it feels that, like, it, it, it saturates that whole that whole method of breaking in. So I uh, I think the best advice that I was ever given, or that I ever heard, I don't know if I was given it directly, but it was basically just, if you want to make comics, then make comics. I always kind of held on to that advice. So when I would, I, I still tried to take my portfolio to editors and send my portfolio to publishers and, and things like that. Um, but when it wasn't working, I just made my own comics and, uh, I made little, I, I would make like one page here and there and put them on the internet or even just, draw stuff. That's kind of comic book ish looking make, I would make little portfolios out of it. And I think that advice is something that can still work for anybody. You do have to have the time. And um, that's, I mean, obviously what makes it hard, but you, if you keep building a new portfolio every six months, every year, or what's whatever you you'll you'll grow as an artist and if you work on comics as regularly as you can, um, you'll grow as an artist and eventually your work will be good enough that it will lead to paid work. And it's a it's a challenge, um, for sure. That's not it's not just some easy answer because you do have to have the, the privilege of having the extra time. But um that's how I went about it. I I I actually ended up um like moving back in to my mom's house. And um, I was like, I wanna do comics. So I'm just gonna like focus on that and getting good at drawing and getting good at storytelling for like the next six months or a year or however long. And from there, I I started working on things that were like funded through Kickstarter, um, a book called Prometheus I did with Ryan Little, which um, I'm still slowly working on in the background. Um, it's a it's a small mini series, um, but I really I love it, and uh, I um, that doing that led to working on some anthologies with some friends I've made in comics, and doing that has led to getting on uh, the radar of Vault Comics, which led to me working on the Autumnal with Daniel Kraus, and I, I just that's it's that's what I I did I just I'm. I made the comics I wanted to make and it eventually um, helped me to be seen by the people who hire for the comics that I want to make. So that's, I think that's the best advice is just make comics on your own.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's something that I pick up with a lot of different people I have conversations with in, in this, uh, whether you're a writer, artist, uh, colorist, anchor, letterer. it doesn't really matter. there's, Though the, though the pathway into the industry is not the same for everybody. It seems one of the main things that is, is consistent for everybody is tenacity. Mm. I mean, regardless of whether you get great feedback or not, and you can take that constructively, you can make changes and adapt, or you can just keep doing what you feel you're good at and whatever that leads to for you tenacity just seems to be that that guiding principle and i know through listening to other interviews that you've done uh and reading some others that i saw online you did take a bit of a break before you decided to come back to comics but you you know you you felt that you missed it so i think that's very unique that you i mean you financially taking a break from anything and going into the the regular world (laughs) to get a regular job is is one thing but i think when you have that moment to like, Oh, I miss this. I, this is what I want to do that realization that had to have done something to keep you going a bit more than just grinding in the comics industry and not having that realization moment that this is what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And you say tenacity. I I like to call it spite. Um, I think a lot of us are, are, have, have too much spite to, Quit. <laughs> um, that's the only reason we make it further is we're just people tell us we can't or it's too hard or or uh it just is hard. But we we're just too filled with spite to not stop.
0: You know that rings super um, true uh because I, this I'm not an artist or anything like that. But I was when I was in high school I wasn't doing the best in, with my grades. And I grew up on like three acres of land out towards Dripping Springs or whatever. And uh, I was helping my dad build like a a well house because when it freezes, obviously, you know, we want to make sure everything's staying warm. So we were laying the foundation and my dad was just having a conversation with me. He goes, you know what, Chad, I give up. I give up on you. I don't we've done the summer school. We've done like I don't I don't think you're going to graduate with the rest of your classmates. And that was the moment, not everything else, but that was the moment when we were laying that foundation. I wrote Chad class of 05 in the concrete and I graduated on time out of
1: spite. Yeah. <laughs> you, know,
0: you don't tell me I can't do this. I I'll show you. I can do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I was the, I graduated high school for the same reason, um, just to just to say I did it, I felt like I didn't really need to do it, but I, I, um, I did it just because I, everyone said that I was like, I was on the edge of not making it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I think a lot of things I do are, are for that reason. I, um, when I did take a break from trying to break into comics, um, I was in sales and marketing and, um, a lot of the little successes I had there were also for the same reason too. we're just spite fueled um but uh i i i wasn't i wasn't happy and i missed i did miss comics and i'm glad i came back and really gave it a real try and um i'm i'm happy to be here i love telling stories i even if even if i don't make as much money as i could possibly make in the real world um, I am happier for sure.
0: I mean, I've, I've definitely discovered as getting older that that's, that's really what it's about. You know, before my current job, I refused to take unemployment because I felt, you know, whatever way about it, like I was living off the government or something like that. But before I got the job I have now, I was like, you know what? I am so sick of getting a job just to pay the bills. Let me find a company and I've, I've, you know, it turned out better than I could have hoped. So yes. uh, To anybody listening out there, passion and tenacity. Don't just go for paychecks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, we, we, we deserve to be paid more and that should, that's definitely a point that I like to make as often as I can. For sure. We shouldn't just do like, I think it's good when people quit for reasons that have to do with finances, because obviously you deserve that. And, and if you find something better, please do that because it'll help our industry realize that there, that there, there are problems with it. And a lot of it has to do with pay, but um, I just, for me, I, I am happy and I do have like the, I also have the privilege of having a partner who does have a, um, a job with like salary and benefits um and i think that a lot of uh comic creators who are happy in comics can say the same um so it's that's just luck on my part that's nothing that i did but um i do still continue to believe that we we deserve to be (laughs) paid more and i'll i'll be loud about that for sure
0: yeah, I agree with you. That's part of the reason this show is called Creative Credit. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I get real sick because you know. Let's, let's 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 touch a bit about it because we're not going to be able to actually talk about what's in the book. But House of Slaughter number one is the best-selling original comic book series in Boom Studios' history, after yes. Keanu Reeves' Berserker, with retailers having already over- ordered over four hundred and sixty thousand copies, and Boom had to push back the release a week to account for that. Um, that's a massive <laughs> book. That's massive numbers. As a fan of Boom Studios for a long time, that is incredible to me. As somebody who picked up Berserker, that's incredible to me. Um, but you know, this this kind of thing happens, is you know, this big book is gonna happen, and people will say things like Tiny new book is coming out. It's yeah. like, but he's not the whole crew. <laughs> there's a, right. there's a whole other section of this book than the script that you're missing here and uh, i and, and let's talk a bit about your your are your team over there so of course tiny and huge name right now um mm-hmm. but let's talk about the rest of the crew while we have you here how how are you guys approaching this how's the teamwork what's what's uh how are we allowing um something is killing the children to influence this or is it really its own animal
1: hi um i don't know a lot about the the writing aspect of it <clears throat> i know a little because I, I i do spend a lot of time um private messaging with tate Bromble, who's writing the script for uh, house of slaughter and um a lot of it is uh his original ideas that he must have i assume pitched to um tiny Ann and uh boom and um it's, it's great. He's great. Um, it's clear that, that, uh, he is like, has lived in this universe so that he can, um, fill it out with things that actually feel like they belong in this universe. Um, uh, for me on my end, I, um, I was given, I, I did a deep dive. I was a big fan of Something is Killing the Children, um, like when it, from when it came out. And uh, I, I think it's great. I think it's such an awesome idea. So I, I've already been a fan. But what I do love is when I started, they gave me like documents with like lore and history and, and stuff that nobody knows. And uh, I can't obviously talk about it, but that's helped me a lot to fill out this world. And I assume that has a lot to do with how the the writing process has been as well. Um, I am, I have a lot of uh, imposter syndrome about being on this book, because uh, I just, I don't know, I I feel so new. And I feel like I still really don't know what I'm doing. And um, this is such a big world that, that we're all developing. And Um, It's exciting, but I'm like, ah, like, I feel like I, (laughs) I feel like I'm like, I don't want to, why am I here? Um, But I do appreciate that they gave me the chance to be a part of telling more of the stories in this universe. And uh, hopefully I'm able to do more in the future after I finish this arc, because I I do really like it. I love this universe. I love playing around in it. And um, it's been It's been fun. So that's, on my end, that's how my, my process has been is just kind of, um, learning about all of the lore and mythology of this universe and, uh, trying to implement it into maybe little hidden background details and filling out the world, filling out the mansion, um, the, uh, house of slaughter. Um, and, um, like really going in and we looking at the something is killing the children, um, artwork to, to get, to get that, that same feel that you get from those books, um, from, um, uh, artwork, but also bringing my own style to it.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a bit about that. And I I told you before we started recording my, I have notes, so I'm just going to skip around whatever our conversation. Yeah, for sure. I've 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 heard in other interviews that you spent about a month or so trying to find the style for the Autumnal or the Autumnal. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's one thing to execute a scene as described by the writer in a script uh and kind of, you know, display those moments in in whatever unique way you have. It's it's another to find and and settle on a style because it's It's going to set the tone for the whole book. You're going to have to do your art in that specific way. So maybe in some way, uh, the the, the technicality of it, can I pull this off for however many pages, for however many issues consistently from start to finish is one Mm. thing. Can you describe to listeners who may not be familiar with kind of the work that goes into kind of creating before you even get the first issue on the stands? The, what is involved in selecting a style for an entire project like this? Because especially with something like House of Slaughter, I, going back to that for a second, I, th- I would think that you'd be very tempted to ape the style of something is killing the children so that the two match cohesively. But you also have to do your own thing and you also have to match the narrative that's being told in that story. So what is that process like for you?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I generally trust that I, if I'm on a, a project that I was put on that project because they trust my own art style and my own instincts. Um, so I don't stray too far from what I already do, but I do, um, I do when I first receive a script or when I first um, receive anything like pitch or anything, um, whatever I have to work on from the beginning I, I I keep a little uh, sketchbook, um, whether digital or physical, and I um, just I play around because I. I've, not a lot of people have drawn, um, like for House of Slaughter, for example. It was different than the Autumnal because the Autumnal I'm doing everything from the beginning. It's all me, so I didn't have to worry about the look. Of everything as much, I, um, Kat Kat Somerville and and her daughter Sybil were, were all my design um, based on, uh, Daniel Krause's description, and um,
0: and using your partner for inspiration as well,
1: right? Yes, I uh, my partner did a lot of uh, acting for me, and I we even um, one thing we did was go out and buy a wardrobe that. Um, That was for cat, so that I could have like physical, um, unique clothing to reference that cat wears regularly um, so that it's, I'm not good enough at designing fashion myself. So uh, we did like some like thrift shopping as part of, as part of my preparation. And then a lot of sketching, I, I like
0: a leather jacket lays differently than like a white cotton tee.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 And we, and we owned, we already had owned like a few things, but I wanted to go out shopping and actually pick something out while being in Kat's headspace um, because of how she was described to me, her music tastes, her, um, her look, her uh, age, everything I went out and um, I was trying to just be in Kat's headspace while buying clothes that she would wear. That fit my partner, Carla. Um, who could then pose for me um, and act for me and also be in that headspace. Um, and I'm really grateful for that that was really helpful because i i uh, i don't i don't use like i don't my art is not photo real so I don't really use reference so that it's more realistic. I generally just use reference for the acting. I think that's the most important thing. But if I can have some of the clothing as well, I get a good nice reference for how fabric can fall in the way that I need it to, um, and for consistency um, with costuming. And um, so that's something I did for the autumnal. And after I did all of that, I I had uh, did a lot of reference shooting. And then I did a lot of sketchbooking of different ways to draw cat Um, and ways that I was comfortable with, ways that were very detailed, but maybe took me too long. Um, I did a whole full range of different types of drawings, and I tried to find a good, uh, I guess, middle ground where I could sit that I would hit deadlines comfortably, or at least somewhat comfortably, um, and have the art still look good, have the characters read, have the characters' expressions and emotions read, because it was a very... Um, character-driven story. I really wanted the acting of the of the drawings to show through, so um, finding a style that works with all of that was important for me. So um, it's just a lot of sketching. I'll sketch the same thing like like five different times in five different ways to see which one looks best, but is also quick. And some kind of I'll 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 make notes, and that's basically how I went about doing that. And so. F- For the House of Slaughter, I I basically did the same thing, but I tried to lean into uh, Verter's style and something is killing the children just a little bit. Not, I definitely don't want to ape anyone's style, and that's not what I did, as you'll see, but um, because it's very much me. But I wanted to, I think the main thing I wanted to do was do my best to capture the way that he does um, panel layouts. Um, and uh, make it just feel like another book in the series. Make the characters feel like um, extensions of of his drawings, um, but drawn by me. Um, so, like my my Aaron Slaughter, for example, um, doesn't really look like his, but it's got enough of the features that it's obviously Aaron. Um, and uh, I just it's just a long process of trying to, I, I, will I'll lean a lot into his style when I'm sketching um, and then lean a lot into my style when I'm sketching. And then I try to find something that's me, but recognizable in his universe, because that's all we've seen. There's not really been right. other than cover artists. There's not really been other artists and something is killing the children. So the only version of Aaron and Erica and, everyone are done by him other than like the few covers <clears throat> that are out there. So I that that was just an experiment of I I'll I'll always go too far in one direction and too far in another direction and then find somewhere in the middle that works. Yeah,
0: so speaking of those because I wasn't going to bring it up but I had to, I I tweeted the other day about two of the variants I was picking up and it's it's got to do wonders at the very least to discover like other interpretations of this because House of Slaughter number 1 has a billion variants. Yeah. Uh <laughs> and, and the Merco andolfo one I you, you know I ordered that one. Uh the Ger, uh, Gerald uh, uh, Gerald Perell uh, just the way this this universe can be interpreted in immediately identifiable but different ways is incredible mm-hmm. to me. And just for reference alone, the variance you guys are getting on this series has to be just a playground for you.
1: <laughs> yeah i I actually pull a lot of inspiration from the variants <clears throat> because they are different takes on the characters and that helps me find a happy place to draw the characters my way that are still recognizable. Um, um, There, there was one, there was one, I think it was Tony. uh, Tony. I'll have to
0: pull it up on League of Comic Geeks.
1: Infante, Tony Infante, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, He did one and it's of the character Jace. And uh, I really love how he drew uh, Jace there. And um, I just like, so I, I actually took a little bit of inspiration from that and leaned into that just slightly when drawing my version of Jace in the comic. Um, and it's, yeah, I definitely, I feed like off of the inspiration of all these covers. I'm, it's crazy, I don't even, I don't really know how varying covers work or, or anything. Um, Because I'm like new to, I'm new to being a comic artist, but I'm also new to being a comic reader. Um, And uh, seeing all these variants has been crazy to me. But what's, what's crazier is seeing some of my favorite artists ever doing variants for a book that I'm working on. That's like a, that's a big deal to me.
0: Yeah, there are people who collect just specific artists, so like may not even care about the book, but get right. everything Mirka Alpha does. So Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find the, the variant you're talking about, but some of the... I use a website called League of Comic Geeks, and some of these don't tell me exactly who the artist is when I hover over it. But regardless, <laughs> there are tons. I'm just... It's at least 30-plus variants or more for this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's including like, you know, sketch versions or, you know, one in 100s and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is so anticipated. I want to, I want to just, let's take a hard left, uh, and go back to El Paso because, mm-hmm. uh, you, you and I are actually both native Texans. Uh, I was born and raised here in Austin, Texas, Or you were born and raised in El Paso or were you just raised in El Paso?
1: I I was actually born in Las Cruces, New Mexico, okay. which is basically it's almost a suburb of El Paso, even though it's in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, but I grew up in and around El Paso. So I I was basically born there.
0: Yeah, um, um, I actually, though I grew up in Austin, Texas, was born and raised here. I actually, you know, as kids, people, I would summer and, you know, with my parent, my my uncle and aunt in Michigan or something right. like that. I spent my summers in Big Spring, Texas, Mm. uh, which is, for those of you listening at home, which is uh, just east of Midland Odessa. So, though I haven't made my way, because Texas is big people, in case you didn't know, uh, though I haven't made my way to El Paso, I imagine uh, sandstorms, the random dirt devils, the smell of oil fields, like all of that stuff that happens uh, out there. Uh, Talk a bit about how that setting and, uh, compared with who you are today sort of is influenced you. Cause I know like one of your first works, El Paso, which I wasn't able to get my hands on in any way. So unfortunately, but talk a bit about that, the, that, uh, that atmosphere growing up because, you know, I, I'm one of those people who, who is actually able to identify with you on the, that scenic setting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, El Paso is, uh, it's a big city, but it has like, I don't know. I, I like to say it has like small city energy. And I know some people will disagree, but it's it's big in population and it's big in size. Um, but there's not much to do there apart from like dive bars and and stuff like that. Um there there, you know, there is a library and there's there's like um, there's two malls or two or three malls. Um but that's not. I don't know. I don't consider that things to do. Even the smallest towns will have like some sort of form of a mall. But um, I military
0: and oil for the most part. Yeah. Right? Like I know my grandfather was was Air Force, and there used to be an Air Force base out towards Midland Odessa. And yeah, uh, there
1: there's a yeah. I uh, my dad had had worked at the um, the military base, and um, I uh, so I don't know. I feel like. I feel like in a place where there's not a lot to do, um, you have a lot of... You're forced to use like your imagination a lot. Um, I, uh, you know, I drew a lot. um, And uh, there are actually some great comic shops there, but I didn't discover them until I was like 19 or 20 um, because I just, I never grew up with friends who read comics. So I never... Was introduced to them um so that's unfortunate i don't have like cool memories of being really young going into comic shops i i wish i did um but i i do really enjoy the the comic shops there in el paso um i had some friends there there's a there's a small um it's really not that small, a good sized community of comic creators there who do, um, indie work. And some of them have been published in like heavy metal magazine and stuff. And, uh, I kind of, I kind of started coming up around them and that's how I got to work on, um, Hell Paso, which was, a, uh, it's a historical comic book about, uh, uh, Marshall who in the, in the old West who, Came to El Paso and kind of cleaned it up and made it safer. Um,
0: By Texan standards, I assume. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um,
1: it's a, it is an interesting story because this man, his name is Dallas Stoutenmeyer, and he would have he would have been as famous as people like Pat Garrett and um, these others. But the guy who was on his way, as far as I know the story, the guy who was on his way to learn about Dallas and learn about his story, got distracted um um on his way there and learned ended up finding Pat Garrett or 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 Wyatt Earp or someone like that, one of those guys, and uh ended up writing a story about them instead. And so Dallas Stadtermeyer's story kind of went untold for a very long time until um a historian decided to tell the story in the form of a comic book. And um, I was actually only hired onto it because they had an issue with an artist flaking and taking the money and running. And um, unfortunately it happens folks. It does. And uh, happens a lot in indie comics. Mm -hmm. And um, I was there with my little portfolio that wasn't very good. I was just, I was good enough to, I guess, be published in something um but I I wasn't it's not that great the work isn't that great and um so they they brought me on and and they were like we can only pay you four dollars a page we had like two artists quit before or, or left or whatever and we can only pay you like four dollars a page but we'll give you copies of the book and I was perfect I was young I was like 19 I was perfectly happy to uh do it. Cause I would have done it for free. I was like, Oh, $4 a page. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't recommend anyone do that ever, but no. <laughs> I was okay with it. And uh, I had fun and it was a great experience for me. So, um, and it was heavily influenced by the area being living there, um, helped, you know, for reference reasons. And, um, museums, they actually built because of the historian, um, the local museum built an entire, Dallas Stout and Meyer um exhibit in the history museum and um there's a whole like life-size model of him and his badges there and um my my comic they sell my they, they sold Hell Paso at the the gift shop so it was a cool little thing but uh yeah that, that's uh I mean there's not much to do there I met my partner there and both of us were ready to leave so we did <laughs>
0: for the for the wide, wonderful world that is Austin, Texas. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't able to find other things like Magic City. I know you did some interiors and and random covers for things, uh, White Smoke, Solar Flare, Jacob, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to find Bank and read those. Oh yeah, that was that was an interesting thing because it seems it's 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 you did about eight pages or so of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah that that was a very weird little comic book that was a weird story that was told there in terms of yeah. in terms because for those of you playing along it's a a web comic and then to my to my remembrance the guy goes into a bank and says you know hey they're gonna kill my daughter give you know give me all the money and then deposits it in a trash but you never trash can but you never see like who's instructing him to do this. There's also some question of whether or not he has a daughter, uh, yeah. this whole thing. And then that mystery doesn't get solved.
1: <laughs> so, so with that story, it's actually part of an anthology that features other artists all written by the same guy, Jed McPherson, and it's all in the book, Jacob. And <clears throat> so it, that it actually does get resolved. Okay. If you read all of the anthology, it all connects through different uh, time periods jacob is essentially a guy who's um messing with people's lives that's his whole thing so he uh. he's messing with this man's life um he's the one taking the money from the garbage can and depositing the mysterious box that you see at the end of the story which ties into another story um
0: Wow! Yeah, because as if you read it webcomic style, folks, the way I did, I found Bank, and then I started paging through from there. So mm-hmm. when when Chris's stuff ends, the way it pages to the next one, you're like, oh, this this must be a different story. If you're not familiar with with what you just described, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad to know that. So so go find Jacob is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, and I recommend it. It's my, my it's old work for me, and um, there's uh, Emily. Pearson's artwork is also in there. Um, That's, we both kind of met through there. And, um, but I I think personally that Jed McPherson, who wrote it, is one of the best comic writers out there. And nobody knows of him because he's not been published in any big way yet, but we did a comic together called Deadbeat that I highly recommend. Um, And I just, I think, if you read anything of Jed's, a lot of it is free on his Gumroad. Um, you can also, it's also very cheap, pay what you want, and um, digital. So I just, I don't know. I If I could tell anybody to do one thing, it would be to read Jed McPherson's comic books. I think he's an outstanding writer, and uh, I'd love to work with him again on stuff in the future.
0: Yeah, other stuff I researched, deadbeat. Is definitely one of the things i want to track down by you because a lot of the stuff i couldn't try I, I like hard copy
1: mm-hmm. uh
0: so but a lot of this stuff is actually available on Comicsology, folks if you're interested yeah so i yeah.
1: i i will have hard copies of um deadbeat available on my shop eventually um there I, I have a good stack of them they're signed Um, I'm just, I'm slowly building up my shop through uh, Kirby's comic art, which is my rep. And so my other comics like Prometheus, Deadbeat, um, I'm not sure if I have copies of Jacob, but there there will be other things
0: in that shop.
1: Prometheus is Kickstarter backed, right? Yes. Prometheus is Kickstarter backed by writer Ryan Little. And um, so you, there, there will be a Kickstarter for the final issue sometime um, maybe ne- early next year Nice. Um, and uh, I, I, uh, I really recommend that one too I think Ryan Little is a great writer as well he does a lot of Kickstarter books all successfully funded all with great artists and he's a writer for I think right now he's working on um, I think he actually is working on What If um for disney plus oh um nice. so he does write. he writes for tv but he writes comics for fun and kickstarts them and um he's a big um reason why i have a career because he kind of gave me a chance really early on him and jed mcpherson on bank <laughs> so um i i definitely love those guys
0: yeah i definitely want to talk so there's you kind of drop two things i'm trying to decide what to pivot to but i do there's your your origin story in comics is has become in a way almost uh an apocryphal version has existed out there where you took your your portfolio to comic-con you know you 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 know and everybody rejected you except one guy who's like hey kid let me see that work um that yeah that that uh, of what i was able to research i the sort of who is that guy who is the so, comicers that gave you so much uh that that If it weren't for his feedback, it may things may have changed for you, right?
1: Yeah. So his name, and I will definitely probably butcher it. Um, So I I went just to to kind of give that story. I went to Comic Con for the first time after I graduated high school. So I was 18, and um, it was the 2009 San Diego Comic Con. I made a portfolio it was not good. Um, I didn't deserve any work, but I did go to editors for feedback. And I, in my mind, I was like, maybe I'll get a job. I, no way I would have, but I, I showed my work around and uh, I was rejected. um, And um, in a, in a, in a nice way, I mean, I wouldn't say anybody hurt my feelings much, but I was, I don't know, at the time feeling kind of bummed and it was the last day of Comic Con, and everything was closing, and everybody was going away. And I was walking through Artist Alley, and there was a man there. His name is uh, Chuck um, Chuck w- Wots- I have no clue how to um, how to pronounce it. It's. Um, it's if you want, I'll spell it W O J T K I E W I C Z. That's his last name. First name is Chuck. And he did storyboards for video games, storyboards for movies. Um, and at the time he had his had his work on display. It was it was storyboards for the 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 X-Men Origins video game. Um I remember it clearly because I remember he's, I was just looking at his work and he stopped me and said, Hey, is that a portfolio? Can I look at it? And um, he spent the next like 30 minutes while security was kicking everyone out. He even told them it's okay, he's with me. And he stuck with me and gave me some of the best feedback I got at that entire convention. Um, So I like to this day, I'm thankful to this guy. I, I know like now he's done like um, storyboard stuff for the Deadpool movie, I think, Um, stuff like that. He does a lot of storyboards, but um, I'm thankful to him for, I don't know, making that whole weekend feel worth it because I got, I didn't get work out of it, um, but he gave me some of the best feedback that I've applied to this day um, at that at that convention at the very end, and and uh, so it's just one of those things I'm extremely thankful for because I don't know if I would have quit or if I would have slowed down, um, but giving getting that advice helped me kind of stick with it.
0: Uh, you're, I'm sure your spite would have kept you going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found a website from him. Uh, it looks oh, definitely looks older. It looks like like last updates or maybe 2011, but at the very top, it says Voitkevich. That's how it's pronounced to answer Wait-kevich. the questions. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I should have looked that up. <laughs> yeah. um. But no, I, I, I did want to know that because like I said, at the very beginning of this, like the, everybody's path into the industry is unique. And you know, the the showing your portfolio around is definitely a, a thing you hear a lot of but uh then there was that one person who changed everything so that's that's very unique for you i really i really appreciate that you talked a bit earlier about some of this uh uh how you film your partner uh doing things you have sort of prior to getting into comics you were very interested and in, i'm very anxious to talk about the autumnal but this is my this is my route to get there. Um, you talked before you got into comics you were actually playing around with film uh some mm. cl- uh, stop motion claymation or whatever and then some short short films and things like that so you yeah. have an eye for cinematography right and i know i know one of your favorite movies is uh a- like alien i believe right mm-hmm. so yeah. t- talk a bit about how cinema and you know viewing things through that lens prior to, you know, quite literally lens prior to coming into the comic industry kind of helped shape the way you tell stories.
1: Um, i movies are one thing I've always had. I have bought, like I was, I was one of those weird kids that actually would as a tiny little kid sit down and watch a movie. Cause I know a lot of little kids can't sit still for movies and I could, I always could. I love movies. I love movies more than shows. Yeah. Um, I, I also love books now, but that's, a, that's more of a new thing, actually, um, in the last, like, maybe 10 years. Um, but I've always loved movies, and I've always wanted to tell stories, and because I was never introduced to comics, movies was the thing I was trying to do early on, and um, I went to, like, a film camp, and I, you know, nerdy things like that. I made stop motion with Legos. I made a lot of little Lego movies and, uh, I did, I filmed like some like live action short films and I filmed like a 40 minute horror film with some of my friends. And, um, I, I just, I love making movies. And so transitioning into comics, I feel like I still think of them and view them even when i read through the scripts that i'm given and I, I view them in my head as movie scenes and then i try to turn that into a comic layout and make that work in that way um so i my my natural instinct is actually to just have all all vertical i mean all horizontal um panels so that it's like cinema widescreen but i i don't because i i I know that that would be annoying and bad so I, i i i play around but i i do think of things before i start sketching them as movies and i and even when i film reference i don't take pictures for reference i film videos of me acting or of my partner acting or i even will if i need to find some sort of action like um like some kind of martial arts move or something, like I'll find a video and I'll instead of a picture, I'll find a video and I I go through it frame by frame to try to find that moment that captures that action. Um I just I like that better. I I when I study, when I do studies, I study film stills, um, rather than studying other comics or still illustrations, I'll I'll I did a study of the entire movie alien. Um, I did was, it was for one year for inktober every day. I did a shot from alien. And, uh, so there's like 31 of them and, um, I sold all of them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, uh, they, yeah, well, it's funny cause it, it was, uh, Duncan Fagretto, who's the, who's a Hellboy artist. Um, he reached out to me. He's like, I really love these. I want to buy all of them. I was like, what? (laughs) Okay. Um, So we actually did like a little trade. He sent me some Hellboy art and Hellboy is like my favorite comic of all time. Um, And Alien is my favorite movie of all time. But yeah, I I love movies. I love good cinematography. Um, And I wouldn't say I'm even like super great at it, but it is my influence more so than comics or illustration or art, you know, in general, like drawings and, and stuff like that. I, I study more movies and I get my inspiration from movies.
0: Yeah. You're, you're, you're top two, uh, alien and pride and prejudice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I get I, my, my two top favorites are just as just as different The Maltese Falcon with Humphrey Bogart and stranger than fiction with Will Ferrell. Ah,
1: yeah, this is a good mm-hmm. one two
0: very different films um, very but. different
1: yeah and I, I think it's funny because because people I tell people oh, my favorite movies alien and they're like oh you like the horror genre and I'm like yeah I mean it's all right I I I uh <laughs> I love the horror genre by the way I just it's not I wouldn't say it's my favorite genre because I don't really think I have a favorite genre I just love a good story and I love especially a good movie with great shots and great music and I think Pride and Prejudice." it's just one of those movies where every shot it it looks like a painting and the music is is beautiful and i'm not even into period pieces that much but pride and prejudice is such a great movie that it's in like my number two spot after alien so it's kind of funny
0: yeah yeah i just the for, for me like stranger than fiction just the way that story is told the perspectives uh you know will ferrell is usually a very comedic person and, and obviously there's comedy in that movie but there's so mm-hmm. much there's so much heart and angst and struggle in that film that is just below the surface if you take the time to look and then there's like clever little witty things like when he i'm assuming you've seen the movie yeah when when he when he brings the baker he goes i I brought you flowers and it's just a box of various types of flour yeah. uh, and i you know just things like that um yeah, just yeah, I, I I can totally see just becoming obsessed with with various aspects of things, and it really plays into as I said, I was going to use this to pivot to the autumnal because, man, uh, this for the listeners playing along at home and for Chris, I'm not as familiar with Chris as I have everybody else I've brought on the show thus far. I actually became aware of Chris very recently because my local comic shop, Bat City Comic Professionals in Austin, Texas off East Cesar Chavez is uh, obsessed, absolutely obsessed with the autumnal. They would not stop talking about it every single time I visited (laughs) it in some aspect. When the trade came out, they ordered dozens. I'm sure Uh, they've sold out multiple times. This is one of those comic shops that, is obsessed with that. indie is <laughs> it they're obsessed with indie i swear to god i would not be surprised if every week through shannon and, and matt's efforts they they have some indie outselling marvel or dc uh they love aftershock boom vault i mean just everything and mm-hmm. uh, this book got so much love but by the time i was like okay you got me i was like i'm not jumping in halfway i'm just gonna wait for the trade. So I waited for the trade and I got it. So I read it in preparation for this, as well as just curiosity and to get them to shut up so they can talk to me about it. (laughs) As opposed to like, we don't want to ruin it for you. We don't want to ruin it for you. Um, So I sat down to read it with a purpose, but I ended up adoring this thing. Uh, I I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to read it over a couple of days, make sure I really sing. I finished it in an hour. <laughs> I love this book, man. I just absorbed it, uh, and we we got to talk the the cinem, the cinematic eye you have. You're uh, it's it's out there. It's in other interviews and stuff. You know, uh, uh, you know, coming from El Paso, trying to find the New England feel, uh, jumping into you know Google Street Views and just taking random detours uh, mm. to to find that. But what's really interesting to me is how obsessed I was with not just the splashes, but like even the smaller panels. Cause I told you, I do, you know, a, another podcast uh, about green lantern and through yeah. that I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. Uh, but when I do tend to read, especially some of those bigger two books, I f- almost feel like some of those smaller panels are neglected. Um whether it's due to the real estate of the smaller panel, the artist feels they can't put as much detail or as much emotion or, or whatever on that. Maybe some of those in mass production, I don't want to critique anybody's style. I'm not an artist, so I, I can't really speak to any of that, but I tend to skim over those smaller panels. But with this one, I was finding myself just looking at everything. I'm, I'm thinking when they first get to comfort notch and uh, they, they, that she uh, Sybil bends down to pick up the leaf uh, and her hand reaching for the leaf and then putting it over her eye and stuff like that's a, that's a movie shot. You, you zoom in on her hand, reaching for the leaf. You pull out to see her, hold it up to her eye, like that whole thing. I, yeah. I, if you don't stop me, I'm just going to go on. So to t- <laughs> t- let's talk a bit about the, the, the finding of this style. Uh y- it's really interesting too because this is this is Cross's first comic work as well. So you both actually come from a cinema type obsession and background. Yeah. You both are sort of new to this game, but you find each other and produce this fantastic thing. Mm.
1: Talk we, about that. Yeah, we this. we definitely bonded over, like when we first started talking, we bonded over um having less experience with comics and like our love for movies. Uh, Daniel really loves movies too. and um, so we we talked a lot about that. I a lot of his uh, I, a lot of his um, beautiful descriptive uh, writing, I think also is very movie influenced and you don't really see that in a comic because his descriptions translate to my art. But, um, if you read any of his novels, he's definitely very, he'll paint a picture with words very well. And that's how his scripts were written for me. So a lot of it, um, is, is him writing a great script and, um, him writing it in the way a movie would play out also me thinking of it in a way a movie would play out, I think helped create something like really interesting, um, with this. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I think that, uh, it was just a, it was a good, it was a good team. It was a good team, uh, between me and him and Jason Wordy and, um, um, and um jim campbell i we we made something that i really am proud of and uh, it's really unique and i i like that we i like that we were able to talk a lot about movies while making this this comic and uh i i don't know i guess i i suppose the influence is there i suppose people can see it
0: yeah i mean it's it's you know, you talked a bit earlier about being on house of slaughter and the imposter syndrome. This, you've done lots of great work, man. I don't mean to belittle any of that in any way, (laughs) but this is forever your resume. This is what you hear. Yeah. (laughs) This this is uh, I was uh, I'm not, I'm, as you can see, I'm a superhero kind of guy, but I'm, I'm big into Indies, especially over the past several years. uh, And for some reason, horror has become this thing for me like the silver coin or homesick pilots um yeah uh, a wave blue world has been doing this music horror anthology called dead beats which i've been obsessed with mm-hmm. um and uh i just i i i can't get enough and this man this felt this fit so beautifully uh you were. Uh, I mentioned the the Google Street View stuff. What's very interesting to me, and I, I did actually hear. You know, I, I picked up on this, and then I heard you mention it in in an interview. Is is the setting is a character? The 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 houses, the uh, you know the locations, the town itself, the woods. That's a character, yeah. and part of it you could attribute to you know kind of the leaves being gateways or eyes for. For the care for the I don't know how much I want to give away for anybody who hasn't read it, but but also like they I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. With people may be fascinated about the idea of using Google Street View to drop in and get a feel for what a you know northeastern type town would feel like. But what people may not realize is the feel that you capture here in terms of look may look north northeastern small town. But also the feel is very familiar to anyone who's familiar with a small town. You and I know living in Texas, travel Texas, the town square has a feel no matter where you go Yeah, that you talk about El Paso being a big city, but still feeling small. There's, there's a, there's a distinct, almost undefinable feel yeah. to those towns and somehow you captured it and i don't i don't know how you did it but you did it uh and uh it was maybe talk a bit about that talk how do you capture feeling in setting as opposed to emotions on someone's faces
1: that's a good question i i think that uh because it's it's one thing to just explore through google street view or go there even but i i wanted it to be recognizable as comfort notch a place that doesn't exist and when i wanted you to go that's comfort notch like when you see it and every time you see it um and i think i think a lot of it a lot of it is what jason brings to the color um especially those like autumn colors and i think a lot of it is um i did a lot of like like i said with characters i do a lot of studies i did a lot of I drew a lot of trees before I started working on this. I drew a lot of leaves. I figured out ways to draw a lot of leaves To that didn't take me so long. Um, and um, I think that how you present the town has a lot to do with how you present the people in the town, the buildings in the town. If anything seems like it's like like maybe a tree that's looming over a building, or a person in the background who's staring at Kat because she doesn't fit in. Um, when I when I mention how the town has its own personality, how the town is a character, a lot of it is has to do with the people, how they dress, um, the library, the the design of the library. Um,
0: yeah the library is like a i just am you're talking about it and obviously i recognize it but i'm just now thinking it, the library is a very dark place
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's and, that and was and
1: like in a movie where things are unrealistically dark or unrealistically lit um i think uh jason Wardy did a great job there i, I like the dark like it doesn't make sense that the library would be that dark. You have to see see the books on the shelves, but it it gives it this, like, like you shouldn't be here feeling. And when you're in the down, in the town square, which is beautiful, beautiful buildings, little bakery, um, little shops, but everybody's looking at you. Like, what are you? You feel like you shouldn't be there. Um, uh, Like things like that. Like even as, there's a there's a point where Kat is driving around, people in other cars are watching her, people outside of the cars in the street are watching her drive. And when she actually goes to... I think one big thing is when she goes to another town, um, a totally different city during the, the comic, um, yeah, it feels the, completely different. Yeah. yeah, it feels completely different than... Comfort notch, and I think that helps. The juxtaposition of those two locations, the people are not staring at her there. Um, there's more uh, diversity. There's more um, people of color in the in the bigger city that she ventures to. Which um, says
0: something Sybil points out in Comfort Notch, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's gloomier, It's um, it just looks more normal like what you'd expect any city or town to look like. And comfort, mo- comfort Notch is almost too nice. I think that's another point that I tried to make. It's so nice that it makes you uncomfortable. Some people are smiling a little bit too much. Some people are staring at you too much. Mm-hmm. The town seems too good to be true. And I think that feeling... Um, is important kind of like when you go to like like uh Disney like main street Disneyland mm-hmm. um, if you if you've been there it's like unusually happy
0: yeah they they, we- they architecturally try to capture the feel but they get the feel way wrong <laughs>
1: yeah it's yeah it's like elevated too much where it's fine cuz you're there you know you know where you are and it's not a real yeah. town but it has this like almost like eerily, like, am I dead? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> if you were there alone, especially you'd be like, did I die? What is this? Um, Comfort Notch is just a weird place like that, where it doesn't quite feel real. And that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted it to be, have this weird feeling where it feels like a real new England town, but it also feels a bit off, but you can't put your finger on it. And that's kind of what I went for. And I went for it in a lot of a variety of ways in the people, the buildings, the, the, the way the trees kind of hang over and the branches kind of claw out at you in a way. Um, <clears throat> the way that it, the, 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 the 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 most of the traffic that you see in the town as far as cars go are where you come in and out of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, like you see the, the truck with all the logs leaving the town, going in the direction that um, Kat and Sybil came from and uh, it's just i don't know it feels like a weird like eerie place that you shouldn't be in
0: um yeah not a but, town, not a town but like somebody who you know their their happy memory of a town made manifest but feels yeah. so inauthentic because there's no there's no obvious you know uh deterioration like you know when you when you remember something you think of it in its brightest light right you don't mm-hmm. think about Oh, that one panel over there had some mold on it. I remember there was a bit of wood rot over there, you know, like things like that. You just picture things in their idyllic setting. Yeah. And, and it's just this unsettling ideal, idyllic world that. Yeah. That yeah. Was great.
1: And we did the reverse here where Kat is remembering terrible things. Right. Or not remembering anything at all because she blocked it out. Cause it was a terrible, she had a terrible time. But yeah. then we get here and everyone's smiling and nice and giving her things like giving her an entire car and giving her an entire house and it's like, oh, okay, like this is too much. Nice. It's it feels wrong because Kat's memories are different. So it's almost like the reverse of that where your nostalgia was wrong. Whereas her, uh, whatever her memories were, they're the opposite of nostalgia and it turns out to be nicer than she remembered. And that makes her uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, hundred percent, and and uh, like Trudy's house, or I guess now Cat's house. Like, yeah. I've I've seen that house. I've been in that house. Like, mm-hmm. I I I can I can picture standing across the street and looking at that house. Like, I, I I know that that's
1: yeah
0: that was all very familiar. And I think that kind of I you know it's it's so interesting how just setting can lead to horror as opposed to actual you know blood guts whatever on this on the panel just those little touches that make you go i i'm not comfortable i'm looking at a leaf i'm just not comfortable
1: <laughs> yeah why am i not comfortable yeah that's and that's why part of why my favorite movie is alien because most of the movie um you don't really there's you don't see the monster yeah and i think there's something to that there's a, there's one scene in particular where the alien is hanging in a bunch of chains and he's in the shot, he's 100% in the shot, but you don't even know if it's your first time watching it, you don't even see him, it's so dark, but he's there, and the fact that he's there, and you find out maybe on your second viewing, makes you uncomfortable, because it's like you, it's like you were standing, you know, five feet away from a killer, yeah. and you didn't realize it, and um, I like stuff like that, so I, I tried to put a lot of that, a lot of dark corners, a lot of things that just feel off but are perfectly not sinister or stuff that maybe is sinister but you don't know until later um and i just that's that's that was my goal is to create some sort of discomfort um ironically in the town of comfort notch
0: no for sure like i i I know what you're talking about because it may not be like the best example but i'm not much of a horror movie buff so but one of the movies that scared the tits off of me when I was when I when I first watched it was uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one, because mm-hmm. you don't see anything. Mm-hmm. It's just things happening, sounds, a presence like, you know, because of uh, the cinema, like uh, the the bass will suddenly increase in the atmosphere of the room. And then, so so that you get through watching that and then every little creak in your house, you're like, <laughs> what was yeah. that? And you you managed to capture that feel in 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 with Jason in color and with the, the stuff that you put on the page it's like you know it's nothing's happening here but I'm uncomfortable yeah, that was
1: that was definitely our goal
0: <laughs> yeah that was that was fantastic so um yeah man I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody but the way this thing ends even it, it being a, a horror story the that was intense uh seeing seeing uh that moment on page just the that was uh man uh i i don't i didn't know where this was going and you know it, it comes to this ending and you're like oh it, it kind of always was headed down this way or it, it, this was always an option but we i didn't see it as a possibility until we got here yeah that yeah. I, I don't know why i was expecting a horror story to have this happy-go-lucky ending
1: <laughs> no <laughs> um yeah i i'm sorry to no. anyone who reads it <laughs> what's That's- worse is i had to draw that that panel yeah twice because the first time i drew it it was not quite as impactful so if actually if you have the single issues um and you have the trade You'll see that I drew that panel again ah. to make it just a little bit more impactful. Um, the panel that you're talking about, and yeah. uh, and I had to draw it again. And I was like, "Oh God!" Like I have to go through this again because I, I, I you know, it's just I don't want to go. I won't get into details. No, but, of course, of um, course. <laughs> um, it was you got to save those page, for page, me. <laughs> yeah,
0: you got to save those page turn reveals for people who actually pick the book. Yeah. And speaking of unsettling. The cover, uh, Amazon finally relented. I hear.
1: I don't know. Uh, not, I'm not sure. I, I haven't gotten an update on that. They, they're they selling it. Um, yeah. And that was never an issue. I think the issue was more they, they didn't want to promote it. So they didn't want to put it on their front page, even if we paid them to do it. Um, cause that's what we were doing. We're, we were vault was paying websites to feature the comic, to put it right. in ads. Um, we took over publisher, publishers weekly. We took over, uh, another, another website. And, um, so uh, the, the our, our book was all over it and we wanted to do that with Amazon. Um, as far as I'm aware. And they didn't want to do that, but they didn't have a problem selling it they sell anything. So that wasn't really the issue. It was more of a, they don't want to put that cover in their marketing in any way. There's
0: um, so much worse things out there that they would, I don't know. I know. Yeah, yeah. No, I
1: know. I agree. But <laughs> um, yeah. But having that happen brought us attention. So that was nice. Hey,
0: nope. No press is bad press. <laughs> yeah uh man uh, i i don't want to keep you too much longer i know we didn't say anything about a time limit but sometimes you know i don't want to i want to let somebody get on with their day mm-hmm. uh but um let's talk usually i sort of open up this sort of section what do you got coming up but it was announced the other day specs from source point press is uh is upcoming and uh It's 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 got the man himself from Canto, which is also another huge book that Bat City won't ever shut up about. (laughs) So I know I know it was only recently announced, so we can't really get too deep in the weeds here. I can read the the thing that showed up online. A magical personal queer coming of age story about best friends wish granting glasses and the wishes we might not make. I myself came became familiar with Source Point actually very recently through Darling. Uh, from Michael Fleiz- Fleizik, uh Todd Hunt, and Dave Mims. Um, I mean, you're just you vault uh, to boom to now source point. Uh, you're 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 going everywhere, man. Talk of ab- whatever you can say, allow or allowed to say about this upcoming book, what is this uh, what new challenges is this bringing to you?
1: Um, I, I can't really say anything about that one because it's going through some uh, changes at the moment. But um, I am excited to work with David um, from Canto because I I think he's really great. Um, but what I what I, so I I can't really say much more about that, but I what I can bring up is um, I do have some potentially, some potential stuff I'll be doing in the future, hopefully with Vault again. Um, I because I am in talks with um, with uh, Tim Daniel at Vault and um, D.B. Andre who did a uh, resonant at Vault, and uh, we're hopefully planning something to do together sometime next year. So that's um, I can I can I can bring, bring that up. I uh, I've also got a thing I'd like to pitch um, that I want to write and draw myself. Yes, um, I've
0: heard you talk about that. You never tell... Obviously, no, you don't ever say any details, but I know that you've had a story in mind for a long time. So yeah. what, what's coming up that you just mentioned from Vault, that's not the the pitch that, that you've been no. talking about? Okay.
1: No, but I would like to do that with Vault as well. I, I'd like to... Honestly, like speaking of Vault, I'd like to do... Um, as many things as I can with them, I think that they're a great publisher. They're making all of my favorite comics right now, for the most part. Other than Money making... Shot,
0: Money Shot, I love uh, mm-hmm. Witch Blood. I love. Uh, I, there's a book coming out that's been solicited called We Ride Titans. I'm very interested in. Yeah, I, I'm really loving what Vault, Vault is doing right now.
1: Yeah, they they're nice enough to let me do covers for them from time to time, and I I just I I loved working with them uh i think everything they make is good so they're very particular um i feel like they're the they're essentially what vertigo was for a while i I agree they they feel that way to me and um yeah uh, i i'd be perfectly happy working with them on as many things as possible in my career
0: yeah i saw you doing a cover for radio apocalypse which i've been anticipating since roughly the beginning of this year because it was originally solicited around March and then got pushed back to October and then I'm one of those people who's like ramby is going to be writer of the year at some point very very soon because he's oh, yeah doing, he's doing everything
1: and everything uh, <laughs> he does is is perfect <laughs> yes everything he does every artist he works with is like the best artist <laughs> and everything. Yeah. and he's an artist I don't know if you've seen um he he does little drawings and they're just they're stunning he so he has an artist's eye because he is an artist and a writer so i'd love to work with him on something as well because he's one of my favorites right now for sure yeah
0: I, I i get everything that he's doing uh that swamp thing run is fantastic right now uh, yeah uh it, then of course you can't who can say anything more that it hasn't already been said about the many deaths of layla star um mm-hmm. so but anyways man uh no i i i uh, those are the so you, I know you're in the process of the source points under some changes, so we won't go any more into that. So talking a bit about your upcoming vault works, do you have uh Prometheus? You said you're working on that. Is you said the next yeah, year I, is
1: I, I've been slowly doing that in the background. Um and uh because it is a it's a passion project that I wanted to finish, um, but it's been hard with because I've been getting work with publishers but I'm hoping to finish the final issue this year, if not early next year, and then there will be a Kickstarter for it. So that's one thing. Um, I'm I'm also going to be in, uh, um, assuming that I can hit my deadline, I'm going to be in in an anthology called Young Men in Love, um, and it's a queer anthology. And uh, I'm really, I'm really excited about that. Um, if for whatever reason I can't be in it, that would break my heart. But I, I'm excited for it regardless because I think it's a great, it's a great um, anthology. And um, so I, I look forward to um, that. I look forward to anything that I'm allowed to do in the future. I, I'm very excited. I love making comics. Um, it if is. there was more I could talk about in detail right now, yeah, I would. But for now, it's just House of Slaughter. I highly recommend it. comes out this, this week.
0: That's right. As we record this, folks, it is the 24th of October. And the 30th of October, Chris will be doing a signing over at Bat City Comic Professionals in Austin, yes. Texas. So if you are in the area, go check it out. It's off of East Cesar Chavez. I believe it's like from 9 to 4 or something, something to that effect. Yes. Uh And... Yes. Uh, you'll be, you'll be having a Kirby's comic art over there as well.
1: Yeah. Um, that's my rep and they're, they're helping kind of host it. They're, they're bringing in, um, the CGC people and, uh, um, I might have some prints available. I'm not sure they're setting up everything for me because I'm, I'm too busy. <laughs> um, so I just, I'm just going to show up and, and, um, sign as much as i can and meet people and i'm excited about it
0: yeah i'm thrilled for it man and i, I, I i'm glad that was all able to work out I'm like man you're gonna love that shop they're great people and they yes they sounds are, like it they are obsessed with autumnal uh you yeah, are gonna, i'm really glad they're gonna talk your ear off man uh and i'm i'm really looking forward to it. bring bring me a copy of Deadbeat. Uh, <laughs> yeah i can
1: I, th- I think i have some i so i can I, i'll i'll check uh, but i don't know yeah. if i sent them away or not but i i should have some
0: yeah this episode will release at the very least the day before so if you guys out there listening are in the austin texas or central texas area head on out to bat city comic professionals in austin texas uh and bring some stuff for chris to sign uh and cgc as he said will be there to authenticate the signatures get things slabbed and everything for people if you want that House of Slaughter is a massive book uh, and uh, I can't wait to read it, man. I know we've got lots of stuff uh, in the works and uh, man, I just, I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and talking about this with me.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. No problem.
0: All right, guys, we'll come back from break in just a moment. And that was my conversation with Chris Sheehan. I want to again thank Chris for taking the time out to speak with me about his career thus far in this industry and being so willing to take that conversation wherever it may go. Be sure to pick up House of Slaughter Number 1 from Boom Studios this week if you haven't already. And if your local shop happens to be sold out, you absolutely cannot go wrong with the autumnal trade. One more mention here that this Saturday, as this episode drops, Saturday, October 30th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., Chris will be doing a CGC Signature Series signing over at Bat City Comic Professionals located at 4616 East Cesar Chavez in Austin, Texas for their small pressween event. The event is in cooperation with Kirby's Comic Art and there will be several other creators on hand for you to discover. This likely will be the last episode of Creative Credit to release in the year of 2021, but this is not the end of Creative Credit. November and December, as it is for most people, is an extremely busy time of the year for me due to holidays and holiday preparations. There's almost always something to do every single weekend between now and the end of the year. And in mid-November, I'll be welcoming a new niece into the world, so I'll have a new little member of the family to obsess over alongside my nephew Dean. Though in the year 2022, I plan on that being a formative year for creative credit. I actually have a renewed passion for this project through many various factors, not the least of which is my friendship with the Bat City family, and the fervor for indie publishers, if not comics in general, is palpable. I've actually recently sent correspondence to the appropriate departments at nine different big indie comics publishers in an attempt to establish ongoing relationships with them in the coming year. And regardless of whether or not those publishers actually respond to my proposals, the benefit of social media cannot be underestimated. I will continue to reach out to creators on books I'm passionate about to maintain my passion with this project. And let me tell you, with creators like Chris Sheehan, or Ram V, or Megan Hutchinson Cates, or Chip Zdarsky, or Maria Lovett, and so many more that I enjoy, there is absolutely no shortage of comics worth talking about, or fantastic people worth talking to. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Creative Credit. If you'd like to follow the show, you can follow it on Twitter, at Creative Credit underscore. You can also send an email to the new dedicated podcast email at creativecreditpod at gmail.com. And now I'm proud to say you can find Creative Credit on Spotify. So until next time, remember, Marvel or DC, television or film, print or digital, we're all comic fans. And as Harper Lee once wrote, real courage is when you know you're licked before you begin. But you begin anyway and see it through no matter what. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on Creative Credit do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Creative Credit is not affiliated with any comic industry publisher unless otherwise mentioned. Music for
1: the show was produced by the Bad Mamajamas from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, found at Bad Mamajamas on Facebook.